It's been an interesting week, obviously, and uh, Sam Carcitti of the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, went into a Zoom press conference with James Van Riemsdyk and asked a very hard-hitting question on the topic. Yeah, um, thanks for doing this. Can you guys uh, forget about all the uh, social issues for a minute and just focus on hockey? What does uh, delaying the game two days do to the momentum you built from the overtime win? So well done there, Sam Carcitti. He really went <laughs> over well on social media, really uh, had a good grasp for what was happening in the world when he asked that question. Yeah, he really read the room there. Yep. Keep it tap on what the... Yeah, very, very self-aware, yep. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sound of Hockey episode 102, we're calling this the Richard Park episode. Why are we calling it that, John? Well, Richard Park had 102 goals in the NHL. Ah. So he, he played nine years. Uh, pretty interesting guy. He was born in South Korea, uh, but was a, a U.S. citizen and ended up playing for many teams, including... Vancouver Canucks. Minnesota Wild. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, he played for some other teams, but he had 102 career goals. So There you go. Uh, fun little piece of minutia about Richard Park. I'm just going to do it anyway, even though I know you guys are going to give me grief about quickly turning it to minutia. Uh, when we talked to Todd Lewicki about that Stanley Cup playoff run where the Wild beat the Avalanche in Game 7, Game 6 was at home. That was the only playoff game that I actually went to with my dad. Um, and so the Wild were down... Uh, uh, well, it must have been three to two in the series, right? And so they had to win to force Game Seven, and Richard Park scored the game winner in overtime. So hmm. uh, I remember that about Richard Park. That was a big moment in my childhood. So thank you for that, Richard Park. And we are naming our episode after you. This is Sound of Hockey. I am Darren Brown at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter. Joined as always by Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's it going? I'm at Andy Ide on Twitter. And John Barr. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. I'm NHL2Seattle on the Twitter. And we are coming to you from Seattle. We have a review to share with you. This one comes from High Speed Homer. It's a five-star review. The (laughs) title says, It's, and the body says, Good. (laughs) So I I think I've created a monster here. I think you have. Yeah, they're getting... So concise. The positive, though, is that people are listening. That's the positive. People are listening. uh, And actually, I mean, this speaks to how much I I love our listeners, right? Like, so engaged and um, just (laughs) such a ridiculous thing to write that kind of a review. But I loved it. And I actually, like, I saw it come through and I just started laughing. I was like, man, I I don't know what I've done here. Yeah. um, I I do want to call out, uh, I saw on a Facebook fan page, Andy Robertson posted something about our podcast and kind of recommending it to to the circle and. Uh, I don't know who Andy is, or I don't think I know him, um, but it was pretty cool to see an unsolicited uh, kind of endorsement, and then a bunch of other people chimed in with their validation too, which was pretty cool because that was uh, a surprise. And I mean, honestly, like it's so much, it's so cool to see like random people that that we've never met or never engaged with kind of comment and give some positive reviews out in the out in the wild, and uh, I, I do appreciate that. It made brought a smile to my face. Yep, me too. Yeah, awesome. Very and, good and, stuff. And, Anybody named Andy, obviously, is, is good people. Sketchy. Good, good Sketchy, people. yep. Yep. <laughs> Sketchy. Yeah. We have a big episode this week. We have Johnny Greco on the show. He, if you aren't familiar, he is the SVP of live entertainment and game presentation for the Kraken, newly hired, uh, and he comes from Vegas, where we know that the game presentation there 
uh, was very, very in- interesting under his watch. So uh, tune into that because let me tell you, this guy has a lot of en- uh, energy yes. and he is super, super fun to listen to. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy that interview. So yeah, yeah. you you might want to save it for a run or something because he's going to give you a lot of energy and you're going to have like, you're going to be rearing to go. You're going to run fast if you're listening to it. And him. while yeah. you're listening to it, realize that he was standing up the entire time that he was talking to us, which I'm pretty impressed yes. with. Yeah. And very, very excited to be uh, talking our podcast, which was awesome. So uh, enjoy yeah. that. That's coming up a little bit later. Uh, first, we're going to circle back to what we were talking about briefly at the top of the show there, uh, which was obviously the social justice stuff that happened this past week. Um, so the NHL, you know, they did end up canceling or postponing, I should say. Uh, I guess it was, was it two full days or like a day and a half worth of games? Right? Two full days. Two full, two days, full days. Two full days, four games total. Thursday it was very much player driven, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. I think, you know, from what I've, I've read about it, it's that it started with essentially Kevin Shattenkirk and like a cu- couple other players sort of getting in touch with Ryan Reeves uh, in the other bubble being like, hey, what can we do? What would be the right thing to do here based on you know, everything that's happening in the world. And, and so it ended up with the players saying, we're going to, we're going to take a day off or two days off and um, make this about learning and, you know, bringing this to the forefront and actually talking about it, uh, which I thought was cool. So credit to the NHL for, um, for doing that credit to its players, you know, again, and Matt Dumba had a, a comment on this, that the NHL is always the last ones to the party. Right. And, Part of me gets why, you know, it's, it is a predominantly white league. It is a league that is, I think only 25% American. So, you know, if you're a a Canadian guy or even a European guy, it's like, well, do I need to get involved in American um, social issues? And, you know, they have a platform, right? So no matter what, like people are going to look to them and say, what do you guys think about this? Even if it's not their area of expertise. So, you know, why can't the NHL just be, just be first to act on things like this once in a while? But um, nonetheless, credit to them for, for doing something and for making a statement. I did think that the the press conference of, you know, Ryan Reeves and Pierre-Edouard Belmar, you know, being surrounded by literally hundreds of players in the Western bubble, um, that was a, a really, really cool image. Um, very powerful. So, um, credit to the NHL for doing something. Again, I, I wish that just once they'd be on the forefront of these social things instead of um, trailing behind. But I am, you know, I was pleased to see that they did something. But you did hit on it. I mean, I think the challenge is there's context that that you can't really compare a lot of the other leagues to, right? In the NHL, being it's it's predominantly um, non-U.S. players, right? Yeah. And predominantly white, obviously. Um, and so, you know, all of our journeys are a little different in this, this awareness and education, if you will. And so you're right. Like, it's good that they're they're coming along and they've did done something. Um, but I also understand the context around why sometimes it's a little slower. And some of that might be me kind of defending my league, but I'm also like, I also kind of recognize that that there is a different mix of uh, demographics yeah. in, in hockey. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned Matt Dumba, and one thing that I was impressed with and encouraged by in this whole uh, situation was the role that Dumba and the Hockey Diversity Alliance took in this. They they were on the forefront. They helped influence this decision. Uh, and you saw Dumba was outspoken. Evander Kane was outspoken. I saw Wayne Simmons being outspoken. When that alliance formed, we didn't really know what they were going to do or what kind of role they were going to have. They don't. It's, they're they're separate from the league. They're independent from the league. It's not an NHL group. Um, but we see here right out of the gates what what impact they can have uh, on the players in the league yeah i just i hope this isn't all you know performative because mm-hmm. frankly we've seen that from the nhl in the past i think you know even in this bubble remember when they were first setting up and i was like i i felt a little 
uh, disappointed that it wasn't more obvious that they were standing up for um, social justice. And, and then, you know, John, you pointed out that they had the We Skate For movement or whatever their whatever that is campaign slogan, right? But it's still not like that clear of a thing because sometimes it says We Skate For Black Lives and then other, other times it says like We Skate For The Fans and We Skate For This and That. And it's like, just make the argument clear, right? Make a strong statement for once that you believe in something that's, you know, bigger than the game. And, um, even, you know, think about like the hockey is for everyone stuff, you know, it's like, it's never, it just never feels like a full, you know, we believe in the rights of this group of people or anything like that. It's like, we, we need to sort of do something to like sort of appease this group of people, but also we don't want to piss off the other side. So we're going to only like half do it. Right. So the, hard thing for me to kind of like rationalize and and I don't know the answer so I'm just kind of throwing this out there but it is should it be player driven or should it be league driven or yeah. owner driven right you would you would think a little bit of both but but a lot of that's driven by the players in the other leagues mm-hmm. and we've kind of taught touched about the kind of challenges or or why maybe we're a little slower to the gate so I do wonder how all these kind of things came together before the bubble and and how they kind of decided to kind of represent those social issues that we've been speaking about because we don't have a lot of context right maybe the players i I don't know i shouldn't even speculate i just wish we had a little bit more transparency in the process which nobody's going to give us like a a wishful thinking if we ever (laughs) expect that because just leagues don't do that right it's behind the scenes things and they're going to be scrutinized for no matter what they do or what what they do not do but you're right hopefully this is this is a a step forward of a journey not necessarily a this is all we're doing, right? So I think you make some good points, but I also sensitive to context around everything. Yeah, and I am too. I, I really am too. I think um, there is context to, to everything. You know, even the NBA, right? Like I know a lot of those teams that ended up sitting out on that first night that everybody was sitting out, uh, they were completely blindsided. And I heard that some of them were even upset with the Bucks for doing it because they just didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. They were like, you know, we're happy to do this thing with you. But we just want to be included and have like a conversation to make a cohesive plan in advance. So, um, so there, I mean, there's context there even too, right? That's, and that's so, a good point. Um, yep. you know, you're absolutely right. There, there's more things that we don't know about that probably went into this behind the scenes. And, um, you know, the decision to play that first night, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> who knows how, how that comes about. And it's still though, right? It's, it's the, the same scenario where NHL is last of the party, as Matt Dumba said. But one thing I, I am encouraged by is that we have have a team here in Seattle, or at least we have one coming, that seems to really be, as we've commented on this show before, they seem to really be walking the walk, right? They, they're they the first ones to comment. They're the first ones to make a strong statement when these things happen. And, and they really do seem to be, as Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see in the world. It feels like they're, they're taking that to heart and, um, you know, just, just with the values that they have as an organization. So it makes me very excited you, to be a know, fan of that team. I totally agree with that. And, and I wonder... You know, not that they should be doing it for the business reasons, but I wonder how many people might be like, you know, that might not be hockey fans might go, I should check out this Seattle team, yeah. right? Maybe they're local. They just assume hockey's like, you know, a white person sport, which is a, a fair assumption, but maybe this is making them kind of think twice and maybe like, hey, maybe this, this sport is for me, uh, even though they might not look like the traditional hockey fan or the hockey players. So I'm excited about that. I think you nailed it. Let's move on. We can talk hockey. And specifically, we can do a WHL update with our WHL correspondent, Andy Eide. Hello, Andy. Yeah, we haven't had much (laughs) WHL or junior news recently, but uh, 
There's been a little, a couple things in the news lately. Uh, the commissioner was on the radio in Kamloops, British Columbia, last week, and uh, you know they they're planning on playing December fourth as their new start time. And with the border situation and the COVID situation, there is a chance, at least they're. It's on the table now. It wasn't on the table in June that, that they could start the season, uh, half a season or maybe all a season with teams playing within the division, which would mean locally here that the five teams in the U.S. division would get really comfortable with each other if they're mm-hmm. playing 68 games all in the division. So that would obviously ease the travel and, and, and you know take away the border issues. So uh, in June, that was not what they were looking at doing. Um, but now, obviously, things have changed. So it's going to be something to keep an eye on. So you may you may see them play the same teams over and over. Yeah, it t- Tips season ticket holder uh, forwarded me an email from middle of August that uh, the tips sent to their season ticket holders and mentioned that they're open to playing in an all all U.S. division to start the season. I thought that was interesting because that didn't that didn't get out uh, broadly, um, but interesting to see that when it hasn't been reported up until yeah, now. So, yeah, it's being discussed. That was the first time we've heard the league actually say anything about it. So, um, and then just today we had some news that uh, Manny Viveros, who was the coach of the Spokane Chiefs this last year, just that just one year in Spokane, is now the first coach for the Henderson Silver Knights in the AHL, which is Vegas's new affiliate. So Spokane Chiefs are looking for a new coach. Uh, Viveros, uh, in 2018, was with Swift Current, won the championship. Then he went behind the Edmonton Oilers bench as an assistant and then uh, lasted a year there and then went back to the WHL in Spokane last year. He's a very sharp-dressed man, likes his suits. Uh, pretty good guy, uh, and so he'll be the first ever coach in Henderson. So, are you going to throw your hat in the ring for Spokane? Yeah, sure. Maybe? If they want to, uh, they want to give me a call. Dump <laughs> and chase all day long. That's what we're going to play. Old, old yeah. school hockey. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Would you wear your reporting hat as a coach? Sure. Why not? Okay. <laughs> Who owned the Chiefs? Uh, that's a good mm, question. Owns. Owns. The right response to that. That's owns a slapshot reference. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I think it might be George Brett and his brothers. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, so anyway, that's our WHL update. And also, as long as I'm making a quote of a goalie, which that was said by Denny Lemieux, right, of the Charlestown Chiefs, who owned mm-hmm. the Chiefs. Owns. 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 <laughs> goalie chaos in the NHL bubbles. Uh, this has been quite interesting. I know that, you know, most playoffs, you pretty much see like one goalie for each team making a run sometimes you'll see somebody get slotted in if uh, if one of the goalies isn't playing well or whatever but somehow these past few days I think almost is it every team? No, I think every team has had at least a backup in. Um, and in the case of the Colorado Avalanche, we're down to a third string in Michael Hutchinson, which is pretty fascinating. So uh, obviously we talked about the thing last week with Marc-Andre Fleury. His agent, Alan Walsh, tweeted out the weird picture of him getting stabbed in the back. <laughs> so he comes in to to play the second of back-to-backs for Robin Leonard. Uh, the interesting thing about it was that Leonard had had another shutout the night before. Right. Mm-hmm. So Flurry was kind of like set up for failure there, really, because he's coming <laughs> in after Leonard proved that he deserves to continue being the number one. Flurry comes in. DeBoer was asked in a press conference, well, did you you know, ever consider just having Leonard play again based on the fact that he had a, a shutout? And he was like, no, no, this is the plan. We're sticking to it. Two of the three games he shut out Vancouver. Yeah. Leonard so and- interesting. Flurry did play well. I mean, obviously yep. he didn't have a shutout, but um, he got the win. So the decision looks moot now. But uh, that could have ended up going very badly for for Flurry. Um, I, I really wonder, though, right, if obviously playoffs, you don't normally have back to backs. But yeah. if Flurry hadn't had that scenario with his agent last week, like 
do you think that he plays that game? I do. Yeah, I think he I saw do. almost every team with back to backs play their backup or their their one A's. Yeah. That I th- so I think he still would have gone. Okay. Um, the one team that didn't is Vancouver. They they stuck with Markstrom and he lost. So that's fair. Uh, we did see that <laughs> with Grice coming in for Varlamov in the second of back to backs, and he was playing against Brian Elliott. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're you're right there. Uh, ben Bishop returns to goal tonight. We're recording on Monday and lasted about 13 minutes before <laughs> getting pulled for Anton Hudobin. Well, there was also. Colorado had 23 shots on yeah. net in the first first period where Dallas had five. Is that good? That's pretty good. Col- I saw that those the <laughs> Colorado scored four goals in like three minutes or four minutes, whatever it was, which is the fastest four goals in the NHL playoff history since 1944. So yeah. not something you see every day. Ooh. You don't see that every day. You don't see that every day. <laughs> And then, like how I snuck that in there, <laughs> Michael Hutchinson, uh, who I, I know I just commented on, but what an interesting scenario there. Yeah. So obviously Grubauer is out injured. Uh, we had said for a while that that was a really good one A one B combination, but Pavel Francouz has been really bad, like like undoubtedly the worst goalie that's left in the playoffs here. Uh, but then tonight, Monday, they rule that he's unfit to play, quote unquote, which might just mean that he's been playing really bad. I don't know. But in comes Hutchinson for his first ever playoff game. And um, of course, he gets the win because why wouldn't he? Right. Well, and, and you remember his story, like he, he was terrible in Toronto earlier in the year and they, they jettisoned him. And now here he is further along than Toronto is in the playoffs getting a win yeah. in the. In the, in the second round. Which is perfect. If only he were playing in the Toronto bubble, that would make it even better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our interview with Johnny Greco. I hope that you haven't had too much coffee today because you're not going to need it. Um, <laughs> after you listen to this, this will, this will be like a shot of caffeine for you. So here he is, Johnny Greco. Time to play the game! <laughs> We now welcome on to Sound of Hockey, the newly hired SVP of live entertainment and game presentation for the Seattle Kraken. And before joining the team, this man held many notable roles, including, but not limited to, executive producer for the Madison Square Garden Company, the chief experience officer for the Vegas Golden Knights, video director for the NBA, and the senior live event producer for the WWE. Thanks so much for joining us, Mr. Johnny Greco. Hey, fellas, what's going on? John, Darren, Andy, thank you guys for having me. So right in the nick of time, huh? That's right. And he has a lot of energy, which we're very excited about. I think this is going to be a fun interview. So, um, But I want to start with uh, some hard-hitting stuff here. Let's talk about your time at the WWE because I've always wanted to have a good conversation with somebody who has worked at the WWE. You worked there during what was called the the PG era of the WWE, is (laughs) what I understand it's called, Um, which notably was kind of when it was toned down a little bit from, you know, the Attitude Era, right? Um, I'm guessing that the the storylines were still a bit absurd, right? Even even though it was more of the PG era, but was your day-to-day at the WWE similar to what we would see in the productions, like what was going on behind the scenes versus what was happening on stage? WWE is like master class in storytelling, right? So whether it's Attitude Era, today's era, they've had a really strong push for like women's wrestling, right? They used to be the divas and now they're like women's wrestlers and some of the, they had a recent uh, women in Saudi Arabia for the first time ever um, in a match. They had a women headline the main event at WrestleMania for the first time. So they've, they've constantly shifted over the years. Um, we could talk for decades about my experiences at WWE. That's why everyone who leaves WWE writes a book. Um, you know, short, short, short answer is we got to travel the world, creating experiences for people all over the place. Some who didn't even speak our language, English, 
but we would tell stories, you know, with physical theater, with emotion through music, um, just with really good storytelling. And some of it's off the charts weird, without a doubt. And and some of it's just your old school good guy, bad guy. You know, we're gonna we're gonna cheer for the for the winner. You know, and um, we got to do so many things, and I learned so many things there. And I thought I was kind of experienced and kind of decent at what I did. And then I got to WWE and got my creative teeth kicked in. I was I was like you know, like all little little boys and girls, right? You're like, oh, I like wrestling. I want to wrestle. I want to wrestle. Then you find out it's not real, and like, your heart is broken. And you know, so fast forward a couple decades, I have an opportunity to join them. And then you do some research on what they're all about philanthropically, their initiatives, their be a star, anti bullying. John Cena, the greatest Make a Wish grantor of all time, and you you get a chance to be around these insane people. Hulk Hogan said. Hey, brother, to me, which was like one of the greatest <laughs> moments ever. So, so you get these experiences there, right? All the while, you're just being educated every single day by some of the greatest storytelling minds in the fan experience space, right? Whether it's in the ring or what's the psychology of the fan at this moment to get the biggest pop. It was it was an out of body experience and and so much of what i learned there i've held to and and still kind of carry with me in, in some of the things i've been able to do with with new teams i've been able to work with yeah now i have a very serious follow-up is john cena uh is he cool because i i always had a hard time with like rooting for him because of his <laughs> jean shorts even though i know he has like i i believe he has a doctorate in thugonomics is what i what i recall um you can't see him darren you can't see him brother. yeah but uh, I don't know the jean shorts. I just always had a hard time with it. Jean shorts, uh, yes. I don't think those are ever cool. Um, and that dude wears them like in Alaska. Like it'll be thirty below, and he, he stays true to his jean shorts. Uh, John Cena is one of the greatest. He's like he's like an alien. Like yeah. I've been lucky to be around some of these incredible minds. That dude is the dude on the bus on a ten day European tour who knows how the main event's going to go, how ticket sales are for the next five cities, how merchandise was, how to coach up the rookies, and he's still training harder than anyone while you know studying for a movie, while um, always doing you know kids first, yes to kids no matter what, doing the make-a-wishes. Like, that guy's on a whole different planet. Mm -hmm. um, he can wear whatever he wants. All right. All right, so let's walk through your career a little bit. Aside from WWE, right, you've, you've held some really incredible – positions at least from the outside it looks like they're really incredible positions and i'm curious if you can just kind of walk us through your your journey and how you ended up here in seattle uh mostly insane luck and being surrounded by incredible people who've lifted me up um mm -hmm. first first <laughs> off right uh my parents were unbelievably supportive uh letting me follow my dreams which was to to make movies so i went to film school in orlando and absolutely was kind of on the movie path and i always loved sports but i wasn't going to play at that level and my first internship out of college was with the Florida Marlins in baseball. And I'm like, wait, what, like, how does that have to do with cameras, lights, camera action? And I loved sports. I played sports. I was around sports. I just, you know, things your guidance counselor don't tell you, doesn't tell you. <laughs> I didn't know you could get a job like this. So got an internship with the Marlins, worked three seasons in baseball, editing videos, playing music, working mm -hmm. with mascots. And I'm like, whoa, this is movies. It's live entertainment. It's television. It's all of this with sports, which kind of has inherent drama anyway. Right. So I got a chance to do that, which was just nuts. I was introduced to hockey again, relationships, connections you have with people um, to work the 2002 Olympics. Right. So I'm 21 years old and I got to work the hike ice hockey venue at the Olympics. That was my wow. like first real taste of hockey. And I'm like, okay, sign me up. This game is amazing. Yeah. Uh, totally fell in love with it. Got, got an opportunity shortly after that to go to the Columbus Blue Jackets, who were, it was their third and fourth season when I was with them. So kind of expansion team mindset, 
non-traditional kind of town for hockey, but just incredible experience. Worked with great people, super innovative. And we got to try new things, right, with a new team. Got a chance then to go to the NBA and work with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Ooh, quick follow-up. Was was the yeah. cannon your idea? <laughs> oh, God, I wish. What a great, first off, it's loud, right? It's it's pretty loud. It was not mine. I had nothing to do with it. That was after me. But a genius idea. Like, it's off to those ideas because that's the stuff that we're talking about in seattle yeah and it's like hey, in columbus they do this thing that's that memorable so um very very cool not my yeah. idea okay. got to go to cleveland ohio to work for the cleveland cavaliers and lebron james it was his second year um i heard you guys talking about the decision the other day that was that was a <laughs> problem uh, on your other podcast i was listening um so we got to work with him for seven seasons and then he made his decision to go to miami uh incredible experience there though again like a john cena LeBron James, these guys are on like a whole different level as far as their awareness for everything. Like they walk into the room and they're better at any anything than anyone else is in that room, even the experts. They just they study and work so hard to be great at what they do. Um, so it was really neat to get to work with him. And, and LeBron was one of the ones kind of inadvertently because I would get to meet with him every once in a while going into the season about what kind of music, what kind of videos. And he gave me insight into like how much the psychology of the environment we create matters to the guys on the court or the guys on the ice and that's kind of stayed with me for a while and it was mm. reminded to me in, in wwe as well how much that the lights matter and all those kind of things but he was just kind of an incredible person to be around we had a minor league hockey team called the lake erie monsters they're now the yeah. cleveland monsters uh they were affiliated with the abs at the time but if you if you do research on that ahl team very cracking like in the in an AHL minor league version, but like it's the the logos kind of under the water. We had these different kind of sound effects and this very cinematic feel for our video opens and everything. It was it was a lot of fun. So um, got a chance to get back into hockey in that space. Uh, went to WWE, which was like I said, just off the off the wall as far as amazing. And then I got a chance to go to to Vegas, um, which was all again connections with people. So the president of the Vegas Golden Knights, Kerry Boobles just a innovative, smart, incredible guy. A great friend of mine was like, Hey Greco, I want you to come to Vegas, bring the family to Vegas, hockey in the desert. Here we go. And I'm like, that does, I don't know about that, man. Like sounds crazy. Yeah, WWE was really good. And um, we, Carrie and I kept talking and, and my incredible wife who's so supportive was like, this sounds amazing. This is less than a once in a lifetime opportunity to be a part of a startup of a franchise and let's go do it. So went to Vegas, unbelievable experience there. I mean, just out of this world. Um, we got to try new things. We had incredible leadership. We had support. You had a Disney-like season, obviously. Unfortunately, you had the tragedy with the shooting, which in the most positive way, I'll always shine light on moments, as awful as it was, it galvanized this community in Vegas. It brought people together. It gave, in Vegas, unlike Seattle, which is a banana sports town, incredible sports fans, Vegas doesn't, they didn't really have that opportunity, right? After the run and revs, there wasn't a ton of depth in the sporting world. So this new team, people were coming in and there were some real hockey fans right out of the gate, but there were some people who were like, go Golden Knights, go sports. They, they didn't even necessarily <laughs> know about hockey. They were just proud to have something that was theirs. That shooting, that sport brought everybody together in a beautiful way. And winning makes us all look better at our job. So the way that first Disney-like season went all the way to the Stanley Cup, it was kind of bananas, out of this world sort of thing. So um, and then most recently, I was at Madison Square Garden, kind of back to my home state where I grew up in upstate New York. But parents were from Brooklyn, New York, and got to work for the Knicks and the Rangers for a little bit. And, and again, uh, sometimes in a short amount of time, you can learn a whole lot of things. So I've been able to be around incredible people who lifted me up, educated me, and um, I'm thrilled to be here in Seattle. Very cool. 
Um, all right. Well, that was a great journey. So you've worked in all these different realms, right? Hockey, basketball, baseball, wrestling. Um, and I imagine that the presentation of games is very different depending on what you're working on, right? So how does hockey fit amongst those other leagues? Like, is there anything really unique about hockey game presentation that's very different from other, other sports? I lo- love that question, Darren. I think hockey is the most fun. Um, it allows you a different scope. Basketball is close. Um, because in the basketball world, you have the court as the stage. So you can mm-hmm. run out with your performers and do different things there. Hockey is that ice is sacred. You don't get out there very often. So you got to be a lot more thoughtful in the crowd. You got to think of the encapsulation of the environment of the experience in the upper deck because you're not allowed on the ice the same. So you have to think about a more immersive experience. But in, in 20 years of, of sports entertainment, it's evolved too. And it's really predicated on the region. Like I am so excited to be a part of this organization. We're doing important things. But but Seattle has a reputation of some of the, if not the best sports fans on the planet. <laughs> and Vegas, I think they have amazing sports fans, but they didn't have that reputation when we got there. We sort of defined that. Here, it's like, I get to be a part of earning my spot on this team. The Seahawks, the Sounders, like the Sonics back in the day, obviously the Mariners. Like these, the fans and the presentation for these teams are world renowned. So the bar is already set really high. The fans are rabid for hockey. Look at the numbers. Look at the excitement. Uh, so, so this is a different experience than the Vegas experience for sure. And I think hockey is something unique. And again, just seasonally for Seattle fans, it's a different time of the year, obviously. And and it's and it's a sport that is just brutally beautiful, right? I heard Todd Lewicki, uh speaking about this. It's this elegant ballet, but it's like gladiators on ice. Like it's this crazy <laughs> sort of battle, but it's poetic. And then you see what they do. And you're like, man, that was impressive. And they're like, and they're on skates. They're doing it on ice. Like, <laughs> us four couldn't do that, like in the parking lot somewhere. Maybe maybe others doing us play, but um, it's it's just it's it's really an impressive environment. And I think the hockey space allows one of the most dynamic um, places. And and for a long time, each sport sort of had its own stereotypical music genres, like how you were going to perform. But I think now it's it's really regional based. What do the Seattle fans want? Right. It doesn't matter. I'm coming in here and somebody like, oh, he was with Vegas and he was with the doesn't matter. I'm, I'm trying to make this team and I want to do something with a great group in Seattle that makes these fans proud and get some energized. And in the end, we want home ice advantage. Right. We want that venue to be rocking. We want the fans to be on the edge of their seats. The game will do that naturally. How do we elevate and support home ice advantage in all things that we do? Well, so Vegas, the, the cool thing with Vegas is we all everybody kind of fell in love with the pregame show with the night and everything and i remember that playoffs that first year uh what was the genesis of that because that was kind of unique to hockey to have a night fighting the opponent on the ice before the game uh it was a big hit and it was it was very unique how did that come together like what was what was the genesis behind that idea so andy i wouldn't say everyone loved it i I, uh, I uh, reading reading comments which I, i really try not to do anymore but there are plenty of original six type fans who were like, what is going on? You, ruining the sport. you mean Boston Bruins fans is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. There were plenty, but you know, in the end we were creating an environment again for home ice advantage, but it was for the 17,000 people. We didn't weren't, we didn't set out to make a show or an event that was like, Oh cool. You know, they're going to love this in Maryland. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> this is for the 17,000 people. Are we creating this space where they can get energized? And by the third period, when we really need them in a close game, did we fuel them with some energy to cheer and go nuts and be ready? Right. Especially if the game's not 
a great game. If they're down 3-1, are they going to trust us when we say make noise to make some noise? And eventually they just learn that on their own. So the genesis of it was uh, we got to get kind of crazy, right? We're Vegas. Going into to it, not knowing how the new rules of the expansion draft were going to work, you, you kind of assume with an expansion team, probably not going to be very good right away. So how do we give value to the whole experience? How You're in Vegas, which – you know, some of the best entertainers in the world go there, have residencies there. So, like, how do we do something a little bit different? And, you know, there's there's a play in all programming, I think, in the hockey space. There's original programming, right? Like, what's unique and what's cool and what's innovative? And then what's original six programming? What's, what's traditional hockey diehards respecting the fact that the Metropolitans were here? Like, how do we find that balance, right, and, and, and honor the game, but also create something that's different and unique and fresh and very Seattle? And, and in Vegas, we created something after listening to the fans, which is everything. There's a huge delineation from, oh, I heard that, and I am listening to you. And, and that was kind of the case there where I, I went in thinking, ooh, we're going to do an Elvis host in Vegas because that'll be cool. <laughs> That's not cool, apparently. So we not talked Vegas. to a few different people. And, and Vegas as a community was like, no, 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 that's not us. And then you kind of ask questions. You talk to people. And you're like, okay, hold on. I'm starting to understand the heart of the city, talking to people. Let's get close to where we want to be. And we'll make mistakes along the way. But as long as we're headed in the right direction, we can adjust. We can be quick. And we can give the fans and, and the, the brand the best exposure and, and experience we can. I, I, I talked to a player that played for the Golden Knights a couple of years ago after the first season. And yeah. I asked him about that pregame show. And he said he didn't see it very often because he was yeah, in the, yeah. the room. But he did say that when they came out on the ice, the, the seats were full as opposed yeah. to other arenas where people are still at the concessions or something. And yeah. he said that made a big difference. Was that, was that one of the goals for that kind of a show is to make sure people are in their seats at, at puck drop? So I think any sports organization on the planet would be like when puck drop happens, when tip off happens, when first pitch happens, have the crowd there and ready. I think that was indicative of the Vegas market, right? Like it's a theater town. And if the, the curtain draws at seven o'clock, it draws and you have to wait until the first break to get in. If that's not the mm. case. So I think, I think that, that community's conditioned to arrive on time. Now we, we built out, I'd like to think a pretty neat experience early on that fueled the fans and gave them reason to be there early. And, and maybe that fed into it a little bit, but I think that was more of just kind of the, the, the nature of that city and, and how they are with, with uh, experiences and, and shows. And so now you're working for a team who named themselves the Kraken. Uh, does that name uh, give you some uh, excitement about some of the possibilities that you could, guys could pull off here? Andy, so so like again, I'm a movie, I'm a movie nerd. And all that. Like my wife and I are watching. I, I had I had joined the Kraken, but like it wasn't out yet and everything. And I'm like, but I didn't know what they were going to be called. I I had no information oh, wow. on this, and I'm like, this could go so many ways. Like, and so, so we were in New Jersey at the time, and we're watching on the screen as that phenomenally beautiful, elegant, you know, program of what's happening there goes. It's like, and they say the announcement of the team, the Seattle Kraken. I'm not kidding, man. I'm I'm a emotional Italian. I started crying. <laughs> you don't say. You don't say. So happy. I was like, this is gonna be such a beautiful like brand, right? And and it was just so elegant and thoughtful and creative. And and I heard again on one of your earlier podcasts. And again, re reading some of the comments, some people were like, oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. But then they realized just how thoughtful everyone was in the why for mm -hmm. this name and for the imagery and and kind of like not not showing you everything there's so much like suspended disbelief like what could it be and there, there's you could just go so many ways with that so <laughs> i was like bouncing off the walls and i think anyone like if you saw the kind of the 
the chatter, right? Like in the sports entertainment world, everyone's like, oh my God, what a name. Oh my, like in the game operations world, live event world, you're like, that's amazing. Like, because there's phenomenal, beautiful, amazing teams, right? I just came from the New York Rangers. That is a legendary brand. Oh my God, (laughs) New York. But like, what can you do with a Ranger, right? Well, and there's certain brands that just play lightning, Tampa Bay lightning. Great name. You can do a lot with that. The wild, you know, but, but sometimes you get to places where like this name doesn't really fit Kraken. Oh my God. Sky's the limit. So absolutely (laughs) bouncing off the walls, tears, all of that. Yes. (laughs) You touched on it a bit, but I want to go back to October 10th, uh, 2017, which was opening night for the the Vegas golden Knights. So 10 days earlier, you touched on it. There was a tragedy, a mass shooting that left, uh, I believe 59 people dead. Um, 58. Okay. You, you, you probably had your opening night, your script planned for months. Right. And then all of a sudden tragedy hits and you basically probably have to rewrite from scratch, but actually, and I don't know, you don't know this, but I was in, I was in the stands there. It was like the most amazing event I've ever been to. And I was sitting next to locals. I got, I got a single, I was down there for a conference and I got a single and I bought it before the tragedy and just was like, Oh, you know, I'm going to go check out a game. And sitting with locals yeah, and just yeah. seeing the emotion that they had, you guys nailed it at such a different level. Like I've never seen somebody pivot that quickly and just on something that that was tragic, yeah. but brought the community together. How did that come about? Like how how did the team kind of come together and like really put that together? It's amazing you were at that game. That was, uh, I hope, the most important event I'm ever a part of. I don't want to do something that important again, because that was way bigger than sports. Um, Vegas was unique because I joined in April, right? So yep. in September, you had games, we had the expansion. So it was, it was a quick, like we had to build our team fast and we built a team of storytellers, right? Like be in sports, but be all over sports, understand how to change things. And we, we don't know what we're getting into. We got to be able to be fluid. So we built an incredible group of, of fiery talent who, who, had planned something for a few months and we were excited. We were starting to rehearse things. And, and then you have, uh, you know, a, a night where 500 people are shot and 58 people die. And you're like, Whoa, uh, 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 a knight pulling out a sword in the middle of center ice really seems tone deaf in this moment. Like we didn't have any time to process anything because the show must go on. And in this case, it wasn't because, Oh, there's, there's 5,000 people who are going to see the show and it's important. It's like, no, no, this is bigger than this. This is the first large group gathering of a community that has been destroyed. We have an important job to do now. And, you know, I think when you hire great people and you work with great people and you build a culture that, you know, in the end it was to do something great for the fans. Well, that was still the case, but now there's a tragedy. So, so the storyline changes a little bit, mm-hmm. but our idea was uh, as quickly as possible, you know, just pull together pivot like you you had said john and 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 let's do something that's great for the fans that honors the community that allows everyone this great big group hug and i'll, I'll never forget the moment because we were supposed to be introducing to vegas for the first time here's your team here's your goalie mark andre Fleury. here's your and we were like nope we we talked about a pivot we twist and said no no here's the heroes of las vegas nurse Robin Jones, escorted by left wing Riley Smith, right? Doctor who saved 25 lives, you know, Sam Rogers, escorted by goalie Marc-Andre Fleury. And, 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 you know, hockey players are the best. They're so humble and great. They were like completely supportive and gracious and okay, just lifting the, the, the heroes in that spotlight moment. And that was, again, the most important thing ever. And it was strategic in the sense of like, let's 
allow everyone to cry. Let's allow everyone to have this group hug and let's allow everyone to have this moment of catharsis and, and hope we get close, right? I mean, there's plenty of things we made mistakes that night, but we did our best. And, and, and then the beauty of sports happens, right? So the puck dropped and then we were like conscious choice. We are going to allow everyone this, this allowance to have fun. So we mm -hmm. play some music and it's like, okay, it's kind of starting, kind of starting. And then like, you know how it was written. Yeah. Four goals in the first period and nothing <laughs> says it's okay to party <laughs> and high five a stranger like a goal and a goal horn and everyone's jumping and high five and you're like, whoa, the power of sport, right? So we did our part but the sport will always lead and, and we need to honor that and get out of the way when, when we can and sometimes help steer it a little bit if, if it needs some support. But um, I, I'm, I'm re it's really cool that you were there. And, and uh, like I said, hopefully the most important thing um, that group and I ever have to be a part of because uh, it was, it was very, very hard. Very so, yeah. And I, I've been to Olympics. I've been to Super Bowls. I've been to world series. I've been to a lot of really unique events and there's, and maybe it's recency bias, but there's nothing, uh, that compares to that experience. And one thing I'll always forget, I'll, I'll always remember is, is Arizona had zero chance. Right? <laughs> they had zero chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, cause my seats were in the home shoots twice behind yeah. the net, probably about 10 rows up. Good seat. So they scored four goals into that net, you know, in the first <laughs> 12 minutes. Insane. And, and I just remember the emotion on the players. Cause I was so close. Oh, yeah. I could see the motion on the players. Yeah. Yeah. faces and James Neal, I think he scored yeah. two goals yeah. in that period. And yeah. I just saw like his just raw motion of, yes. and, and like Arizona was, I think they chased the goalie in the first period. Right. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, was, it was, it was, I mean, it just showed the power of this community willed this and these players willed this. Like, it was like, there's no other way this can go. Like it has to happen and divine intervention, whatever you want to call it. Like it yeah. was just this insane moment where, I mean, I get hair on the arm. Yeah, I'm getting it now. Just <laughs> it was, you're like looking at each other and you're trying to stay focused and do your job, but you're like, is this real life? Like, how yeah. is this happening? And yeah. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing like a goal and a goal horn and that music to make you be like, you know what? We, we're yeah. for a couple yeah. of hours, yeah. we can enjoy yeah. ourselves. And it, yeah. the timing just perfectly fit in with the psychology of the community at that time. And, but it really did galvanize um, yeah. in a way we hadn't intended. But but you know, thankfully, it lifted up this, this a really great city and a really yeah. Great and it seemed to to bring the the team together, the fans together, and and it was like one unit quicker than you know than than it just accelerated by years. Right? Yeah, it was concentrated. So, well said. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was very concentrated for sure. So uh, I do want to talk about the playoffs in 2018 because um, you know that was. <laughs> <laughs> But that was like what, I'm in the Pacific Division and no sharks here, no sharks. No, no. <laughs> no, well, I want to talk about the, the, your first playoffs, the Stanley Cup final run. Yes, um, yes, and it seemed like that was like tune in TV, right? Because NBC, you said NBC was covering it. Yeah. And every round, you upped your game, right? And and the final was having like Michael Buffer, like, and that's insane. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. um. Were you, did you have a plan going in or did you just kind of like, okay, how do we level up after every series? Or, or were you just kind of constantly like, how do we level up? Like, how did Michael Buffer even come into play? You know, once it gets to that point and you're in Vegas, there that's when people start almost reaching out to you. Like, oh, hey, you want- I got an idea. Yeah, <laughs> then you get to like, choose a little. Like, um, you know, what a lot of people don't know, and you wouldn't have seen it in game one, but game two on- Till the playoffs, we were doing a pretty theatrical show that, you know, was like anti the other team, the old classic yay boo moments. Yeah, we had been doing it. And there's a lot of sports teams that do a heck of a job out there. But, you know, fortune, whatever, like 
NBC covers it one time and people are like, whoa, what is that? Yeah. Again, yeah. we were building that for the fans, not for television. So it's cool that it, it kind of translated okay, but it was all about story, right? Like in the end, we want home ice advantage. So based on what our fans are conditioned to, to do and based on who our opponent is, the bad guy, how do we make the bad guy seem like a worthy adversary as, as and hockey playoffs is so great. That's not hard, but worthy <laughs> adversary. And then how, and, and if we beat that worthy adversary, how heroic are we? Right. So it's, it's kind of storytelling one-on-one. So give that, that battle moment to happen. And the whole time I'm telling, telling our group, like guys, been in sports a long time. This never happens. We're not going to go to the playoffs. We're not going to keep winning. We're not. And, and, and we had some young people on our team. They're like, this Greco guy's crazy. Like, this stuff's easy. I'm like, no, no, it never happens. And, trust me. Uh, yeah, trust me. And then, you know, I think the Kings, we swept the first round. It's like, oh, God. I'm like, I'm telling these guys, a lot of teams get swept in the first round. I said, it could be us. And we can do the sweeping. And then we go to the next round. And it just kept going. And what we were doing, I remember going in against uh, Winnipeg. It was going to be Nashville or Winnipeg. And they had a game seven. Mm-hmm. And we had like two days because we had home ice. Actually, no, not against Winnipeg. But we, we didn't have a lot of time to create the opens. And we were doing all those in-house. So we literally had like a dry erase board, a sharp. And we were like drawing yellow stickies about, okay, if Nashville plays, <laughs> are we going to bring out a saber-toothed tiger? And then that to this. And I swear, Erin Sequeira, she's down in Vegas. She's like, we got to bring a real di- a tiger out. We can put him in a diaper and give him. I'm like, what do you got? I hope the Jets win. And then if the Jets win, we're going to like cut a digital plane in half, right? Like either way, like when I say these out loud, I'm like, what were we doing? But if you had been a part of the whole ride, it, it wasn't weird to the fans. Yeah, yeah. It was for. Yeah. If you jumped in and you were from Boston, you'd be like, what the hell? What are they doing? You know, but it's like, it's cool. This wasn't for you. It was for them. And um, so it wasn't about one upping it. It was just following the storylines, taking the characteristics of the characters. And, and, you know, once, once that part of the show was over, the idea was have this place be blitzed out of their mind loud. So when the team takes the ice, they feel that energy. That's what we were trying to do. And every team and every area and every sport is going to get infused with energy differently. So that's where you listen to your crowd and your region and you give them something that, that works for them. I read or heard, and I'm almost certain it's Sportsnet or it's CBC mm-hmm. since we get it up here, that that the league actually asked you to tone it down a bit as far as those openers. Can you confirm or deny that? I, I, honestly, uh, maybe this is just great leadership. That never got down to me. Um, on the other <laughs> side, it's like, this is about our fans. Let's give yeah. them what they want. And, um, and I, you know, at the time we were just doing it because we were going so fast. Like we were still... Yeah kind of in a, in a hangover from the tragedy and the season just keeps going and going. You're like, Oh my God, like we just got to keep going. Like we, it was an out of body sort of experience. Uh, looking back at it now, it is pretty wild when, when people are like, Hey, that was pretty cool. What you guys did because we were just going like it, there was yeah. no filter. We were kind of just rolling. And again, city that was supportive leadership. That was amazing. Really creative team and the team winning. Like it's kind of this crazy uh, yeah. magic confluence of, of goodness and and uh it was an honor to be a part of for sure so super cool i remember that all the nbc like broadcasts insisted on like cutting to the golden knights game way earlier than you would see any other you know because like the national audience wanted to see what you guys had put together before each game it was wild <laughs> you I know mean, it's funny i don't i don't even know because because we darren we would be at the game for the show so whether or not nbc was cutting in we were going to do the show yeah. it doesn't change i'm not yeah. even sure it didn't change yeah. for us like we were Again, creating for that home ice, right? I sound like a broken record, but that if that's your northern star, then you can get weird if it makes sense, and you can get real traditional if it makes sense, but it's it's for them. 
and you try to do the best you can as a, as a creative working with the fans to create an immersive experience where they're a part of it and they have the voice and, and then everyone kind of kind of wins. You know? Yeah. I also, I imagine Michael Buffer calling you to offer his services and being like, hey, Johnny, it's Michael. I can come to your hockey game. Is it, was that how that conversation goes? <laughs> It's like you were listening in on the call. Yeah, That's yeah. crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah. That actually didn't go through me. The, the NHL <laughs> helped us out a little on that one. But but had he called me, that's what would have happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you touched on the brainstorming kind yep. of process. You know, there's no bad ideas. Sure, yeah. What's the craziest idea that, that's been thrown out there that, that you kind of knew you just couldn't do? Was it the, was it the diaper on the, on the, on the lion or the tiger? <laughs> well, so, so you want to know something, John, the diaper on the tiger saber tooth in the middle of the ice wasn't the craziest idea. We had. Uh, <laughs> there, there were a lot. And I'll be honest, like, these weren't my idea. This, this group was so talented and, and crazy. And once we had that allowance to get a little weird, we we're like, okay, let's get weird. And, uh, you know, one of the rounds we had kind of these, these arrows, right? Like the bad guy came out and then up from the castle, the guardians would pull back the bow. And we had this kind of like, we learned from, we worked with Cirque du Soleil a bunch and they taught us right. all these gimmicks and tricks, like how to make fire look with a light. And Tyler Kofer was like this crazy uh, uh, madman. He actually works for a Seattle company now, Three Point Productions. And uh, he's just crazy with props and he figured out how to make this thing look like fire. And we're doing that. And then of course, Aaron comes with a, we need to fire real fire. We need to shoot real fire and drink. I'm like, into the crowd. Yeah. Pyro at all. And a live arrow with fire firing anyway. She goes, no, there's professionals who can do this. I'm like, time out. Like, this is what I'm not even moving up the chain. Like, this sounds way too crazy. I would much rather the tiger at this point than uh, than live fire arrow. So, but yeah, there's probably a dozen ideas like that um, that are that I probably blocked out, honestly. And so then how do you how do you balance like the traditionalist versus the modernization of the game day experience? Because I'm sure there's the, the traditional suits that are like, the oh, no, you know, those original six people like, oh, we yeah. need an Oregon and we need to yes. yeah. blah, blah, blah. But yeah. like you have a chance to reinvent hockey, but there's still some hockey people yeah. in the organization that will want more of a traditional experience. So how do you like balance those two those two aspects? It's it's an intelligent question. And I, and I, I don't know the answer here. Right. I, I, mm-hmm. I got to earn my spot on this team. I got to meet people. I got to be educated by people. I got to see what the vision is. And, and then we got to sort of fuse something together that makes a lot of sense for the brand. And again, for the fans, like what kind of environment do we want people to feel when they come in, right? They're spending a lot of money for this wild experience. How do we make it memorable? How do we stand out, but also honor the tradition of this, this of Seattle? And then how do we also stand out in a great sports town, but also honor the traditions of, of what other teams uh, are doing here successfully. So there's not a perfect science. And I think the format's different everywhere, right? I'm, I'm mm-hmm. coming from the New York Rangers most recently, right? That's, they've been around for a while. So there's a lot of things like, Ooh, don't touch that. Ooh, don't, okay. Maybe we could change this, which is totally okay. Cause if you've been doing it for a hundred years, nobody wants to be the guy to change that. Cause that's not a good idea. <laughs> if it's worked, it's right. good. You got to be thoughtful and not just, create change or like try to make waves just to make waves. There has to be a why there has to be a, a story angle yeah, to okay. it. And, and I think yeah. that really matters. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to finding out what that is and hopefully we'll talk more about it as it gets developed over the year. Right. That's right. Uh, so you were also quoted in the NHL.com talking about making a indelible impression on fans and including goal songs as part of that. Um, Explain to Darren why Macklemore is overused and shouldn't be used in our, in our building. And also what indelible means, please. <laughs> indelible is like, like permanent. Um, 
I hope, because otherwise <laughs> I've misquoted for a long time. Uh, so goal, song, goal songs are really important, right? We talked about this in, in Vegas. When you score a goal, that's like one of the most pure jubilation moments. Every, you're hugging strangers. Everybody's like, wah! It's such a release of joy. How do you not interfere with that moment, but support that moment? So uh, mm. Macklemore, sure. Mm-hmm. Kenny G, I mean, Jimi Hendrix, there's a lot of local, <laughs> local artists, right? I've been doing the research. Um, I think we got to figure out something that, again, other teams aren't doing, but is a nod to, to, to regionally. And, and, and I'm a massive fan of like the, the back and forth, right? Like I kind of appropriated this from the Dallas Stars, but when we were in Vegas, we were like, cool, we're going to get a local artist, Panic at the Disco. They had a song called Vegas Lights, which sure rhymed with nights. And in that, there was a break in the song where we're like, we're going to infuse a Go Knights Go chant because in that moment, and the stars did the same thing. So we just kind of, again, borrowed it. But I love that. I'm like, this is really good. There's teams that change the goal song all the time. The Rangers have a really good goal song where people are kind of pumping their fists with it. I I think it's a really, really important element. And again, don't be distracted. Don't distract people in that moment. Just elevate the moment mm-hmm. with something mm-hmm. thoughtful. So Macklemore it is. You got it. No, <laughs> Aaron's been pushing that for a while. Yeah, yeah. we've been... a lot of conversations there he, for sure. He said been... earlier, there's no bad ideas. I've never felt like I had come up with a worse idea than when I recommended Macklemore. Like, I thought he was going to just slap me. I was like, oh. Sorry. Well, the fans but, jumped yeah, on him too. The fans yeah, we heard, we heard about too. it on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I've also heard, you know, be wrong, just be wrong fast. Yeah, that's what, yeah. That's what the Pixar guys say. So <laughs> I'm wrong fast all the time. We'll just we'll move on. It's all good. Um, you got brought in here with uh, with Lamont Buford. Yeah, I yeah. Understand, I understand you guys have known each other for a long time, Absolutely. but this is the first time you guys have actually. Uh, yep. Been on the same team, and and in, in that same NHL.com story, Todd Lewicki uh, referred you guys referred to you guys as a spectacular one-two punch. Uh, how does that partnership work uh, with you and him? Have you guys figured that out yet? Who's going to have what responsibilities? Uh, so yeah, Lamont's a phenomenal dude, and I love to be around great people. So I'm not going to be around my dog and my awesome wife and my awesome kids. I want you to be an excellent human being. Like just let's have <laughs> fun and do what we do. And do it. Lamont is that, and he's got a great family, and I've known him for a few years, and. Uh, We'll develop it as we go, honestly, right? Like Lamont in Vegas, we talked all the time. He probably went to five or six games, and I believe he was at that October 10 game as well. Like he oh, wow. came to a lot of games, yeah. and, and we chatted a whole bunch. Um, and, and we chat, we've been chatting almost every day since we both kind of came up here. Yeah. So we're like, we're so geeked up. We're like, okay, I'm out, I'm out. Got to drive the 3,000 miles across the country. Got to, but, but what about this and what, you know? So um, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to be, to be on his team. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of sort it out as we build out the whole crew. Cause the truth is, depending on what the organization wants and, and what kind of stories we're telling where, there's a lot of different ways to sort of shape that. And, um, you know, I, it's I'm, I'm honored to be with him and, and we're going to have a blast. He's, he's a, he's a really good dude. And we've been having some really fun conversations. So uh, being that this team is partially owned by Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah. Uh, I've heard. <laughs> was he, was he part of your interview loop or is it, is it intimidating at all that, that Jerry Bruckheimer is kind of one of the owners of this team? Have you even thought about? Yeah, no, I think about it. I, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's intimidating. It's really exciting, but, but yeah. Mr. Bonderman, that's also exciting. Todd Lewicki, that's exciting. Like Katie Townsend, there's there's a this this group from the few people I've gotten to know and talk to, uh-huh. they are so passionate and talented and culture based. Like it's all really exciting. Like yeah, Jerry Bruckheimer, oh my god, all that. But but if you go too far down that path, like you'll end up getting yourself in trouble. I remember this sounds like I'm name dropping, but just for perspective, when I interviewed at WWE, I interviewed with Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. Like Triple H, <laughs> dude, 
And that dude comes into the room in a tie and he's like huge. And he's like, you know, and, I, and I remember like, I, I had a freak out moment halfway through. And then there's a point where you're like, you know what? There's a, you gotta believe in yourself and, and you gotta just be authentic. Like I, I'm gonna be wrong a lot, but at least I can be true. And, and we started talking and it became kind of humane. And then he asked the question, he goes, how much do you know about WWE? And like I said, 20 years ago, I wrote it off. So I'm like, well, about that. <laughs> but, but he taught me in that interview, he said, Sometimes we get too close to our own brand, mm -hmm. our own sport, yep. Yep. and we need to open up and create kind of a different experience. And, and we got to just open up the lane a little bit. And I was like, wow, for this guy who is a legendary storyteller in the ring and he's a successful businessman and like just the kind of father and husband I respect, like this is really cool that this is how he sees things. So I've taken that you know, to the places I've been a part of. And it's all about surrounding yourself with really good people, taking great ideas, working them to fit the fans, and then trying things out, right? You can program to fail. When you program your home run moment where you're like, oh, we know this works, you can try something new before that sometimes. If that new thing works, sweet. Home run, home <laughs> run. If that, first, that new thing doesn't work, we have the home run on the back end that's going to kind of make people forget about that other thing a little bit. So there's kind of a psychology to it where you can try different things. And and again, it's listening to the crowd. Let's do what they want and give them something that they're proud of. Thank you for your time, Mr. HHH. Um, <laughs> last question for you. Uh, kiss right. cams, creepy yes. or necessary? <laughs> I guess it depends on the kiss cam. I, I, uh, I think um, it's... I. Per, again, I, I got to earn my spot on this team. Yeah. So if you're asking me before I, I don't know everybody else's feelings, but fun is fun. Right. We tend to complicate things and I've done it a lot where I'm like, we got to add pyro and da, 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 da. it's like, or you could play the YMCA and everyone will dance. Now it depends <laughs> on the reason. Kids cam, I've never seen kiss cam not work if you're thoughtful in the storytelling. If you have the right camera guys and girls, if you have the right music, if you have like kind of that really good twist at the end, there's so much you can do there. And very rarely are people like, that was awful. Don't ever do that again. Like, <laughs> mostly people are into it. So again, I, I need to know what kiss cam's like at a Mariners game. And and I want I'm so excited to be meeting all the, the guys and girls who are part of the, the sports entertainment world here to find out what works and what doesn't work. But if you're asking me day one, I'd say, yeah, I'm into kiss cam if it's thoughtful and you do it right. Cause that's, that's that home run moment. We'll try something new <laughs> before it, but we can program a kiss cam that gets everybody really happy at the end. And then they're going to cheer. Let's go cracking louder than ever. <laughs> so here's, here's an idea for you though, since, uh, and this one's free, I won't even right. charge you for it. <laughs> Um, because you know, people are a little shaken up by this whole COVID thing. You can, you can oh, find yeah. people in the crowd that are too close to each other and then yeah. like they'll, they'll scurry away from each other and you can be like COVID camp, <laughs> distance right? cam. like the social distancing thing. COVID quarantine cam. Quarantine cam. Yeah, that's better. Or that's zoom better. cam. And you just have like nine people spread out <laughs> in the arena and they virtually kiss on the cheek or something. You could be inventive. You get thrown a curveball. Let's, let's. Hold on it and swing away. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like, also, if, if you've listened to our podcast, uh, Darren is not a fan of uh, tentacles that are too detailed with the suction cups. So mm. just keep that in mind, too. Too anatomically your, correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Darren, Darren's creeped out by the tentacles. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Tentacles. Note, note, noted. Got it. But I don't okay. speak for everyone. I know I don't speak for everyone. It's, <laughs> it's not tentacles themselves. It's when you get like really like if you see a, if you see like an octopus at the like at the aquarium that's like suction yeah. to the glass glass right yeah. it looks it looks a little weird right but like a cartoon tentacle i imagine darren just sitting there like staring at the aquarium 
really breaking down tentacles, like spending way too much time, which is okay. Like, we got to dig into this. So, uh, yes. oh, I got a guy you can call, Darren. He'll help you out. Exactly. <laughs> I've learned a lot about myself in this interview, so that's good. Um, yeah, you guys are great. Yeah, Johnny, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so, so much for doing this. And um, I, for one, as a as a future Kraken fan, I'm thrilled that you're, you're part of the team because I think you're going to bring us a lot of fun. So... Um, congratulations on the role and, and uh, thanks for, for, for doing this. We really appreciate it. John, Darren, Andy, thank you guys so much. Absolutely honored to be in the city, part of this organization. We're going to kick some butt. Release the Kraken! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you again, Johnny, for joining us and for uh, sending lightning coursing through all of our veins. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> for sure. What a guy. <laughs> I love guy. that guy. Yeah, great guy. And, and I love what he said about their process in Vegas, how it was more about the fans the local fans there and they, they try to make it, you know, a fit for that community. And that's what they're going to do here. So don't expect this exact same thing we saw in Vegas. All right. We now move on to our segments and our first segment is everyone's favorite segment. Uh, weekly one timers. Bad boys. Goalie gear corner. <laughs> <laughs> we have. Were you guys surprised? Did you think it was going to be right. something else? You, you, you tricked me. You tricked me so bad. Yeah, yeah, so much. I was looking um, to the left. You went to the right. We, yep, that's the Kansas City Shuffle. <laughs> Our goalie gear corner this week actually comes from friend of the pod Ryan Hardy, who uh, tweeted out a picture of his goalie's pads with the Chicago Steel brand new setup. This is for, I guess it's mm. Ian Shane is the name of the goalie here. Uh, so these are custom Bauer pads. Unfortunately, Andy, they're not your, your Brian. Oh, I like them anyways though. Uh, but these are pretty great. I really, really <laughs> yeah. like these. So obviously Chicago Steel, right? So then at the bottom, uh, they have what kind of looks like steel um, mm-hmm. or like a, like a diamond plate design, right? And then there's a red and white stripe going straight across the, the bottom, which I would guess aligns with the team's socks. And then on top of that line, you have the entire skyline of Chicago, and it goes across all the way across the pads. Um, so they're not even like really symmetrical because you have like the, the entire skyline, right? Starting with uh, the Sears Tower on the left, or I guess it's the Willis Tower now, going all the way over to the Hancock Tower on the right, which is pretty cool. It's pretty sweet. I yeah. like it. Yeah, and at the very top, he's got Chicago Steel logos on both sides. So when I look at these, and there's like an actual like picture on them, do you think this is a trend now? Because I think of like Robin Lehner's like Knights picture on his. You know, usually we just have some sort of, you know, most goalies have some sort of stripe or a couple stripes on their pads, some kind of design like that. Do you think this is going to be the trend now where we actually start seeing like images and, and actual pictures? Yes, definitely. This is kind of cool. Um, I think we've probably talked about it a while back, but uh, Bauer and even Brian's too, they have new technologies now where they can actually print on the pads and make mm-hmm. it look a lot more um, realistic. Because it, it used to be that they'd just be like sewing on more layers of leather, right? And yeah. like cutting out little images like Felix Potvan was probably one of the first goalies that had a real like picture on his pads but even that was just like a bunch of layers of leather that were like sewn together so it makes the pads a lot heavier um, but now they have new technology that they're able to print on the pads so um, yes I think that is absolutely going to be a trend and we will see more of that going forward that wraps up goalie gear corner and we now move on to our weekly one-timers I know we discussed on the show. Oh, this is our first weekly one-timer. The Arizona Coyotes had that whole thing under John Chayka where they had been working out uh, some like prospects to like kind of 
get to know him and decide if they wanted to draft him, I guess, um, which is completely against the rules. And so we were always wondering kind of what the punishment would be. Well, now John Chica is out in Arizona. He had that weird falling out where he like quit slash got fired slash was called a liar and a quitter by the owner. <laughs> and so now um, punishment has come out. What is that punishment, John? Arizona Coyotes lose their second round pick this year in this year's entry draft and their first round pick in next year's NHL entry draft. This is pretty severe. That's harsh. Because mm-hmm. uh, Coyotes don't even have a pick in the first round, first three rounds this year. And then next year, they're only going to have one pick. So they, they traded for Taylor Hall this year. They traded their first rounder for tw- from 2020. Um, the second one is getting sanctioned, so they won't have one. And then the third was for Carl Solderberg last summer. So And then next year, so they lost their first rounder in 2021. Now, this can be perceived as a good thing for Seattle because... If they are a lottery team, that means if they don't make the playoffs, um, they will not be able to select in those kind of that that lottery position. And guess who's in the lottery next year? Mm, Seattle. Seattle. (laughs) So it it, it theoretically increases their odds and it should increase uh, Seattle's draft pick to be one pick earlier, therefore potentially a, a better player. So interesting ramifications. Now the Coyotes are in a world of hurt right now, I think, for their their roster. Um, because they've kind of been trading these guys, and then they lose these two picks. They need some help. There was talk that the fine for each violation could have been $250,000 per violation, and supposedly they worked out like over 20 players. So uh, it could have been a huge financial hit, too. They decided to kind of go the docking them of draft picks. I would have actually uh, liked them to have done one more thing, the league. Uh, the, the player combine was canceled because of COVID, so none of the other teams got to do a combine workout. Arizona did. Yeah, I'd like them to have to publish their results to all the or share their results with all the other <laughs> thirty-one NHL teams. That would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Our next weekly one-timer. Our first semi-big-time trade of the, I guess you'd call it the off-season, sort of, because the off-season for some teams. Uh, Kasperi. Kappa not going to work here anymore, <laughs> heading to Pittsburgh uh, as part of a pretty big deal. Uh, so Kasperi Kapanen, Pontus Aberg, and uh, Jesper Lindgren to the Penguins for Evan Rodriguez, David Warsawski, Philip Hollander. And, I mean, really the biggest piece of it is the 2020 first-round pick, which is going to be 15th overall going back to the Leafs. So, uh, really, the Leafs give up Kapanen. Uh, they get a 15th overall pick back, and they get some cap space out of it, which apparently they, they desperately need there. And the Leafs didn't have a first-round pick, so now, they, now they're back in with that move. Yep. So, another thing, thinking about the Seattle angle, Kapanen was projected to be protected by Toronto. And so now that opens a slot for somebody somebody else in Toronto, which would be Andres Janssen um, or Pierre Engvall. The, those are kind of the new targets um, that Toronto might protect now. But you never know how the roster is going to shake out in the next, theoretically, eight months. Um, so that did impact Seattle a bit. Uh, one interesting note about that draft pick, by the way, bringing it back to Minutia. <laughs> the Penguins actually had a choice. It was this weird thing where I think it had to do with covid they had given up a first round pick for the Jason Zucker deal. They had to decide whether they was going to do like the lottery protection this year or next year. Right. And they said, we're going to just yep. leave it for next year, expecting that they're going to do better next year. Right. Mm-hmm. And have a lower pick. So yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. I think if they had decided to do next year, then I don't know what this deal gets done. Right. So um, interesting stuff. Here's another interesting thing. Um, Gasperi Kapanen was actually drafted by the 
Pittsburgh Penguins. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. In 2014, in the first round, so they basically traded their 2020 pick for their 2014 first round pick. There you go. Our next weekly one timer. Mike Green has retired from hockey, uh, so he was actually with the Oilers, although he only played two games for them after being traded by the Red Wings during the season. Uh, he played 15 seasons, 880 games in total, um, and people remember from kind of his early days in Washington, uh, he had a couple of huge seasons there. Uh, he scored 31 goals and 42 assists in 08, 09, and that's as a defenseman, so um, obviously more of an offensive defenseman and uh, played a long and successful career but uh, time for him to hang it up. Yeah, he, he was the ultimate like offense first kind of defenseman. Uh, you know, the, the, the one knock on him was always in his own end, but he you, you know his early years especially was so dominant offensively that it didn't matter as much. You know, he was kind of one of the early um, puck-moving defensemen, yeah. right? And so that's probably why they knocked his, his defensive mm-hmm. prowess because he was so offensive first. But, you know, basically that's that's pretty common now, and there's, there's not a lot of pure stay-at-home defenseman like they expected back when he he joined the league. Right. Uh, our final weekly one-timer, Whoopsh. Vladimir Tarasenko has undergone his third round of shoulder surgery, and the prognosis is that he will be reevaluated in five months, which means that he is uh, probably going, well, definitely going to miss the start of next season, uh, and we don't really know how long it's going to take. So, uh, interestingly, I remember when he had the surgery last time that this was a very similar prognosis. They were like, well, we're going to give him five or six months and then we'll reevaluate. So um, not a great scenario for him. Blues GM Doug Armstrong said he rehabbed. He came back. We had to do another MRI. He wasn't feeling good. That surgery didn't take the way we had hoped. It wasn't successful. He's going to go back in and have more surgery next week. And it's serious in the sense that he won't be with us and he won't be reevaluated for five months after the date of surgery. So that's not great. That that really wow. stinks for him. He's such a such a superstar player. And, um, you know, I mean, not that I'm exactly rooting for the Blues. I know, Andy, they're your favorite team. But, um, <laughs> you know, you just you hate to see a, a superstar player like that have such a a tough go with injuries. And, um, you know, at this point you wonder like, what effect is this going to have on like the length of his career, his effectiveness, all that stuff. He was one of those guys that got hurt, you know, during the the season. And then you thought, Oh, well this pause is going to give him a chance to come back. And he did play in the playoffs, but, but he wasn't very effective. Then he got, then he got re-hurt in the series against Vancouver and missed some games. And, you know, you wonder if maybe he should have stayed out just completely, but second game, it's easy to second guess it, but yeah, hopefully he can come back and be what he was. I mean, if he had just gone for the surgery right when the season paused, that probably would have been better. Although, you know, elective surgeries weren't exactly an option either. So, uh, Interesting thing is he would be projected to be protected by St. Louis. But if his ability deteriorates or he doesn't bounce back next year, he could be exposed. Um, but that would be a huge risk for Seattle to select him. Because uh, his cap hit is seven point five million, which is one of the biggest on the Blues right now. So that would be an interesting scenario just to keep an eye on. I I think uh, if they don't protect him, that probably means he's he's dropped off quite a bit, and I'm not sure Seattle would would take the gamble. Hmm. Uh, it's not always about the expansion draft, John. <laughs> It, it is in my book. We're getting close. We close the show with our tweets of the week. Andy, your tweet of the week. Uh, my tweet of the week comes from friend of the pod, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. Sure. So there was a, a group, a separatist group in Alberta that's been floating the idea of that province, Alberta, joining the U.S., which probably isn't going to happen, but they want the whole, there's, a, there's a group of Albertans who want to be Americans. Okay. And so Wachinski retweeted the, the story about it and said, finally, a way to get Connor McDavid games on NBC. 
That's good. John, your tweet of the week? Mine comes from Ryan Lambert, his two-line pass on Twitter. He says, what do we think the man in the Heineken commercial did to make the food taste so bad? (laughs) So if you've been watching the playoffs, you know there's a Heineken commercial where his friends don't really like the food that he made. Uh, Mine is not really a hockey tweet at all, except that remember like several episodes ago, we talked about Roller Hockey International and... Uh, we basically decided at that time that the Seattle team was going to be called the Seattle Planets and that the Captain Planet song was going to be their their <laughs> yes. theme song. So it's a meme uh, of all the Captain Planet kids with their like rings, you know, that they would combine to make Captain Planet come alive. And instead of being like Earth, Wind, Heart, whatever, it says Reflux, Joint Pain, Bills, Existential Dread, Depression. And then Captain Planet is below them and it says, By your nightmares combined, I am... Over 30. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought was, I thought that was pretty funny. It made me chuckle, and I thought I would share it with you. Uh, it probably would be better if you just saw the meme rather than me reading it to you. But um, I think you did a fine job describing it. There Thank you. Know. Yeah, you did you a fine did well. job. That wraps up episode 102, the Richard Park episode. Thank you again to Johnny Greco for joining us. Thank you again to High Speed Homer for that incredibly short but also five-star review. Uh, Please do subscribe on Stitcher, subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes. Leave your five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the next episode, just as we did that very short one. And we will talk to you all very soon. Cheers. Cheers.